Welcome to Making Footprints, Not Blueprints, a regular podcast about matters philosophical and religious. My name is Andrew James Brown, and despite being myself an atheistically inclined free thinker, I'm also the minister to the Unitarian Church in the city of Cambridge, UK. The title of this podcast is borrowed from the philosopher Herbert Fingeret, who, in his book, The Self in Transformation, offered us studies that were outcomes rather than realised objectives, which were offered to the reader as an encouragement to make intellectual footprints, not blueprints. This podcast tries to proceed in a similar fashion and takes seriously an insight of the poet A.R. Ammons, who felt that true human freedom only comes when we have understood that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely, and that, therefore, and thankfully, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. Welcome to this week's New Walk. Live the questions now, or how to live well in the in-between of question and answer. In my own ministry, one of the things I regularly notice when in conversation with people who, on the one hand, are curious about how, with a clean heart, they might reconnect with Christianity, or who, on the other hand, are busily rejecting it, is their shared experience that most churches and church leaders are only concerned to promote their own various putatively true dogmatic answers and then to keep their members in an uninquiring, unquestioning state of faith. Because the free-thinking Unitarian tradition to which I belong is reasonably well known as a place which encourages people to ask questions, that's why I so often find myself having conversations with people seeking either to find an honest way back into or out of Christianity. Indeed, this willingness to question was the chief reason I myself ended up joining a Unitarian community some 30 years ago, and one of the books which finally persuaded me to dip my toe properly into its life-affirming and enhancing waters was Living the Questions by Ralph Norman Helverson. Between 1959 and 1977, Helverson served as Minister of First Parish in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and whilst he was in that post, he engaged in a pulpit exchange with one of my ministerial forebears here in Cambridge, the United Kingdom, Dr Stuart Carter. It brings me, and I hope you, a certain pleasure to be recording this piece in my study in the Cambridge Unitarian Church, where Helverson would have spent a fair bit of time working whilst he was in the UK. For those interested, a PDF copy of Helverson's book can be downloaded via a link found in the notes to this podcast. The book's epigraph was taken from Rainer Maria Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. It reads, I want to beg you, as much as I can, to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, 
live the questions now. Perhaps he will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Unquote. Given all the foregoing, it should come as no surprise that I've long found myself in agreement with the German-American political philosopher Eric Vergelin, who thought that one vitally important project within our European and North American culture was that of reminding Christians, and Christianity, that men and women are supposed to be questioners, and that believers who are unable to explain how their faith is an answer to the enigma of existence may well be good Christians, but they have also become questionable men and women. That Christianity has not always been frightened of questioners and questions can be seen by recalling the Latin phrase fides querens intellectum, which means faith-seeking understanding, or perhaps faith-seeking intelligence. This way of proceeding was encouraged most famously by Augustine in the 4th century of the Common Era and by Anselm of Canterbury in the 11th century. And as the contemporary Czech Roman Catholic theologian Martin Kocci reminds us, theology professed as fides querens intellectum is an ongoing struggle with questions. So what on earth happened which frightened the Christian horses so much that today they are often so fearful of questioners and questions. But, to be even-handed about it, it's important also to ask on my own side what happened which frightened the Unitarian and free-thinking horses so much that today they are so often fearful of finding and or of offering any answers. Well, in broad brush-stroke terms, the matter is relatively simple. In the former case, it is clear that where and whenever a person is only able to live in endless, wholly open-ended questioning, their life quickly becomes exhausting, enervating and distressing. Consequently, giving answers became the answer, and Christianity has, alas, all too often become obsessed with only offering people answers. In the latter case, it is clear that where and whenever a person is only able to live by predetermined, closed, dogmatic answers, their life also quickly becomes exhausting, enervating and distressing. Consequently, encouraging questions became the answer, and free thinkers, among them the Unitarians, have alas all too often become obsessed with only offering people questions. Fortunately, there have always been people and traditions on both sides of this divide, Protestant and Catholic, I might add, that have tried to bring the question and answer into some kind of relational, conversational balance, but they can be, and often are, very, very hard to find. I liked, and still do like, Helverson's approach, because he was one such person within the Unitarian tradition who tried to hold answer and question in balance. And to someone like me, his book made it clear that, although answers remain as slippery as a main seal, the person who is living in the question can still believe very much in the possibility of finding answers, even as they continue to doubt that they will ever be easy to attain. But today I'll leave you to discover Helverson for yourself via the link in the podcast notes. 
In this piece, I want to return to Eric Vergelin, whom I mentioned earlier. This is because I not only find his response philosophically and theologically powerful and persuasive, but also because he remained a secular philosopher throughout his life, his non-aligned status can, potentially at least, be very helpful in getting the conversation going again across the problematic and unhelpful divide. For Gellin thought that as a culture we had got into the problem we had because we'd forgotten something noticed by Plato, something called the metaxy, or the in-between. Vergelin uh, spells that with a capital I and a capital B and hyphenates it, the in-between. In Vergelin's mind, question and answer were always held together and related to one another by the event of the search. What this meant for Vergelin was that to be human is always already to be inextricably situated in the in-between, pushed and pulled, not only between the poles of question and answer, but also between what for us is a never fully known and knowable humanity and natural world on the one hand, and what we feel to be an unknown and probably unknowable transcendent or even divine realm on the other. The mistake we have often committed is to try to make either of those poles the only really real or truly true centre of human existence. But when we do this, we simultaneously cease to understand that the only thing we can all assuredly say is always already real or true for us is the movement, the push and pull, that's set up between the poles of question and answer and the human and the transcendent. Vergelin was insistent that we should understand our whole existence takes place completely inside the movement of the event of the search. And therefore, the only answer to the enigma of existence which will ever satisfy us and have half a chance of being as true as anything can be is one that remains consciously in the metaxi, in the in-between. Here's how Vogelin writes about this. Quote, the search itself is the evidence of existential unrest. In the act of questioning, man's experience of his tension toward the divine ground breaks forth in the word of inquiry as a prayer for the word of the answer. Question and answer are intimately related toward the other. The search moves in metaxi, in the in-between of poverty and wealth, of human and divine. The question is knowing, but its knowledge is yet the trembling of a question that may reach the true answer or miss it. This luminous search in which the finding of the true answer depends on asking the true question and asking the true question on the spiritual apprehension of the true answer is the life of reason. Unquote. Consequently, it seems that for Vergelin, and certainly for me, the only religions and philosophies that are truly worth their salt are those which continue to offer people practical ways to live well and fruitfully in the metaxi, the in-between, and not those which seek fixed and final answers from either the gods or God or humanity or nature alone. 
The moment a religion or philosophy believes it has found the answer to the enigma of existence by absolutizing either the divine on the one hand or the human or natural on the other, they have become religions and philosophies which have lost sight of what it is to be human and so threaten to introduce tyranny into our lives. Drawing heavily on Plato, Vergelin felt that the Christian gospel which for him centres on the idea of a life of seeking, which involves, as Jesus often noted, giving up one's life to gain it, did in fact offer one such practical answer to this question. I continue to agree with him, and in recent podcasts I've tried to offer you just such a gospel which holds together Athens and Jerusalem, Socrates and Jesus. On the one hand, Socrates about whom we know primarily through Plato, Socrates keeps us questioning by constantly asking what is it we can know? And his answer is that we come to know that we don't know. When we pursue this method in a disciplined and consistent way, we find we have access to an energy which can successfully limit our dangerous hubristic belief that we can ever know about and control anything and everything. On the other hand, Jesus keeps us questioning by constantly asking who is our neighbour and how is it we should be treating them. And his answer is that it is always the person before us, right here and now, whether friend or enemy, and that we must always be displaying to and with them true love and justice at work. When we do this in a disciplined and consistent way, we find we have access to an energy which can transform us in the face of complacency. To quote Rilke once again, I find that after all these years, I personally continue to have a very strong faith that by sticking close to the examples of Socrates and Jesus and staying willingly in the in-between, in the movement of the search, with the push and pull of question and answer, human and divine, that gradually, and without hardly noticing it, I am indeed living along some distant day into an answer. It seems to me that this is clearly to engage in that ancient philosophical and theological form of life professed as fides querens intellectum, faith-seeking understanding. In his critique of pure reason, Kant memorably asked three perennial questions. What can I know? What ought I to do? What can I hope? Having got to this point in my piece, I can now conclude by saying that when a person is able to live firmly and confidently in the metaxi, in the in-between, it is possible to find three tentative but still very real and practical answers. Question. What can I know? Answer. I can know with full belief and a clean heart that it is possible to live a decent, full and good life by following the examples of Socrates and the human Jesus. Question. What ought I to do? Answer. In two parts. One. To keep questioning so as to remain absolutely clear that I must learn to live knowing that I don't and can't know everything. And two, 
to keep myself concentrated on the task of showing love and justice in the best way possible to myself, my neighbour and my enemy. Question. What can I hope? Answer. That by engaging in a philosophical and theological form of life professed as fides querens intellectum, faith-seeking understanding, I have access to energies for limitation in the face of hubris and for transformation in the face of complacency, both of which, in turn, help me faithfully to live along some distant day into an answer. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path. Thank you again for listening to the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and each new podcast will be delivered to your device as soon as it is released. Also, if you'd like to join the conversation, please feel free to comment on the blog or come along to the occasional live online discussions which take place on Wednesday evenings at 7.30pm GMT. Anyone is invited to ask questions and make comments on the issues discussed in the podcast. You can find all the necessary links in the episode notes. We look forward to talking with you then.